This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer Brewing Podcast. This week's episode feels extra special in that it's a conversation I've wanted to bring to the podcast for years now. Gabe Fletcher, founder of Anchorage Brewing in Anchorage, Alaska, has built a reputation for brewing creatively across the spectrum and his hustle and figuring out ways to connect his little small craft brewery in Anchorage to the bigger world of craft beer is just unparalleled. We've got a whole story about that in the Brewing Industry Guide if you want to check that out. From mixed culture, farmhouse style beers to hazy IPAs and big barrel-aged stouts and barley wines, he of course runs the gamut. And Anchorage is one of a very, very small number of breweries to score more than one perfect 100 score in craft beer and brewing magazine. But Gabe doesn't love the pressure of speaking in front of crowds, even if they're just a listening audience, and has turned me down a few times now when I've brought up the subject of a podcast. Of course, we've talked a bunch over the years, and earlier this year we talked again for a brewer's perspective story on Brewing Barley Wine in the April-May 2022 issue of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, but I recorded the conversation, not intending it for anything other than a transcription, but the audio quality and content was pretty good, and I thought maybe one day we'll make uh, it'll make sense to release it. Anyway, earlier this week I saw Anchorage had uh, announced the release of 2022 A Deal with the Devil, barley wine and that jogged my memory so i reached out to gabe to get his permission to share this interview and that's what i've got coming up for you today but first for nearly 30 years gnd chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on gnd stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for info on patented ProCarb inline carbonation technology, ProFill rotary filling and seaming can fillers, the Alchemator inline alcohol separation system, 7 to 50 barrel brew houses, and more. ProBrew, a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand, offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. And now, of course, let's jump into my conversation with Gabe about brewing barley wine and, of course, barrel-aged barley wine. Gabe. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I got COVID. (laughs) Oh, shit, man. Oh. (laughs) This your first COVID interview? <laughs> <laughs> I won't have to tell anybody. This is, this is no one's going to hear this. They're just going to read the story that comes from it. So uh, no, I, I think you should say it. <laughs> this is uh, this is my first COVID. Our <laughs> first COVID interview. No, like um, we're all feeling it here. I haven't come down with it yet, but of uh, the folks in our office, um, five of us work out of the office full time. Four have come down with COVID over the last two weeks. 
<laughs> you know, so we're batting eighty percent, and I'm the only one who hasn't had it yet. So I'm I'm just counting the days. I know it's I know it's coming. Ugh. How does it feel? Sucks. Oh yeah, but you know I'm almost happy I got out. <laughs> well, so what I wanted to talk about on this, is, you know, we do a Brewers perspectives, you know, kind of stories, you know, basically in your words, and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for each issue on, you know, whatever we're focusing on. Obviously, we're doing barley wine in the next issue. I thought, you know, who would, if I were a brewer, who would I want to read a brewer's perspective from on barley wine? And, you know, I mean, I think it's obvious. Yeah. Most, most people would love to hear from you on brewing barley wine. Um, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, you've been, you've been brewing it for a long time and doing it really well for a long time. Um, I a friend of mine, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, had a bottle of the uh, double oaked vanilla. Um, you know, it was just spectacular. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about this magic that you, uh, you know, you put into it <laughs> because because there is something that's uh, you know, especially in this current kind of environment where everyone's making barley wine very sweet, um, just to appease the sweet tooth of of that certain consumer for it there's still um, just a nice balance to the way that you approach it where it's, yes, it's sweet and it's going to make people happy that want to drink that kind of thing. But at the same time, it doesn't, doesn't feel like this kind of sickly overly sweet, you know, thing that, um, you know, becomes Mm -hmm. unpleasant to drink. So, but maybe first we just, you know, talk a little bit about your background with barley wine and, uh, you know, I know it's something you brewed before Anchorage and, uh, you know, have some, some history with it and just curious, yeah. like what, where, you know, where'd you find those initial inspirations and, uh, you know, what were those things that you looked at, um, and even trying to think about barley wine as a style? Yeah. Um, I think, well, it obviously started back and my first brewing, uh, job was Midnight Sun Brewing Company. Yep. And, um, that was back in. 1998 <laughs> and yeah, I was 21 years old. And, uh, when I <clears throat> first got on there, they, they, I just brewed the, the first batch of, um, um, Arctic double barley wine. And, um, within a year and a half of me being there, I became head brewer and, um, just sort of, took the bull by the horns and, and decided I was going to do my own thing. And, and, um, it, it, I was smarter than I thought and uh, <laughs> you know, made a lot of mistakes along the way, but, um, I always had this way of always trying to go big with things and, um, trying to figure, figure out how to, how to make those beers work. And obviously it, it didn't always work out, but you know, I think from the failures come successes and, um, what would you, uh, uh, what would you think was an early failure? Um, what'd you do wrong that you later learned you did wrong? I think, I mean, the, there's lots of things over the years with barley wines. I've, I actually struggled with them a lot, you know, they, yeah. they've always been, um, tricky to ferment and I've always, I'm always trying to figure out new ways to ferment that. And, you know, I've, I've tried, you know, Seeding them, I think that's been my most successful way is, is instead of just hitting it all with, or hitting the batch with just a, a, a big punch of yeast. And right. Just, you know, <clears throat> 37 Play-Doh wort, 
um, I'll do like a starter, like a, you know, a 15 barrel starter, but I'll have like a 30 barrel pitch in there. Hmm. And then, and then I'll brew the first batch onto that, which let's say it's like eight barrels of beer or something like that. But by the next day that, that yeast pitch is already up to a 60 barrel pitch because it'll double the cell count by the next day. Right. And so you're putting basically, you know, eight barrels of, um, 37 plate of wort onto a 60 barrel pitch of active yeast. It's like, it's ready, ready for that, that big hit of sugar. Right. And then, <clears throat> and then it, it, it just takes off hot and heavy. And by the next day, it's already dropped, you know, probably 12 points. And so now you're looking at a, whatever, a 25 Plato beer or whatever, whatever the math is on it. Right. And, and, um, and then you brew your second batch onto it. Um, and then that instantly dilutes your starting, you know, Plato. Right. I don't know what the difference is, but um, it's always a little bit different every time. But I think that that just puts a lot less pressure on the yeast, right? Doing it that way. Oh, that makes sense. So, and I mean, it's, it's you know, you're right. It's not an awkward brewing technique. Everybody's you know to bring that now and stouts in the same kind of way. Yep. But I was, I, you know, I was doing that a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, and. <laughs> when you said you know, feeding, back, my initial thought was you're not doing it brewery style and just adding extra fermentables that have it going. No, through. no, no, yeah, yeah. no. Everyone's <laughs> everyone's myth of uh, uh, Arctic Devil would have changed, or uh, Deal with the Devil would have changed. <laughs> One of the other beers that people always talk about, and I'm, I'm surprised that people still talk about it. Honestly, is and and um, I'm sure you've heard. of of people talking about that beer before, but that, that, that was another sort of barley wine S beer. And, and we use, you know, Belgian yeast and, and also American yeast and, and tried to sort of blend dark, strong ale with barley wine. Right. So that was, that was kind of a neat um, experiment that I didn't expect to turn out as well as it did. Mm -hmm. You ever use enzymes to, uh, yeah, you know, keep the fermentation uh, rolling through the high gravity stuff. I have, you know, I've tried this HA18 yeast recently. Yeah, and um, I, I haven't been real happy with the uh, with the esters that come out of it. Yeah, it, it, it gives this really strange sort of character. I'm not sure what it is, but I stopped using it. Mm. Um, I turned a, a couple people onto it, and they were using it stuff and, but um kind of liked it at first but then um i used it in stouts before and it doesn't seem to, to go off the same sort of odd ester character yeah that it does in a barley wine what is it just because there's the roast character of the a stout might uh make it less visible or do you think there's something it else? could be yeah yeah i think there's just less to hide there you know yeah you got all these different kind of grains and roasty characters and and i think you know stouts hide sweetness better than barley wines do yeah let's take a quick break before we continue the conversation supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while 
So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also looking for a good lager yeast, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, provides brewers large and small with the most complete portfolio of dry lager yeast available anywhere. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. Calm. And now back to barley wine. Is there a specific yeast that you use? Are you using just um, yeah, typical West Coast Chico? Use, originally, it was like Y-E Scottish Ale yeast. So whatever BSI's version of that is. Yeah. I think it's BSI 28 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's their, their Scottish Ale yeast. Oh, Scottish Ale. Okay. That's the one I've always used. And... Um, it's just a really strong fermenter and it does kick off a little bit of fruity character, but I, I think that lends to the, to the beer, you know, over that long aging period. Sure. How about, how about malt? You know, malt. I, and again, you know, I, I, I guess as I'm thinking about this, I mean, we could think about it in terms of, you know, you don't, do you only make barrel aged barley wine at this point or do you make non barrel aged? Cause I imagine that approaches to these could be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, the only time I'd ever make a non-barrel-aged barley wine would be like an American style. Yeah. Um, and we, I've done that before, and, you know, they're great. They just don't have the same complexities, and then they don't lend the barrel-aging either. Right. So it's, you know, it's like, it's like aging a, you know, triple IPA in a barrel kind of <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't really ring the same but um yeah malt malt wise um you know everyone knows English you know Maris Otter and or you know any, any of those kind of um you know four malted two rows um keeping it simple you know not putting a ton of different grains in, but you know, that that's just the way I do it though. That doesn't sure. mean it can't be done, you know, another way. It's just the way I've always done it. I've always kept it real simple. Yeah. One or one or two grains is, is it. And a lot really? of it. One or two grains. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and, you know, just so we're clear, you know, we, we're not, we're not pushing this as the only way to do it. This is all we want is your way of doing it. You know, that's, yeah. that's what makes this cool. You know, it doesn't mean anyone else is wrong. It just means this is the way you do it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but one or one or two grains, huh? Yep. I'm sure you can make a, an awesome barley wine with, you know, with like great Western two row as well, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, you might have to get creative. Like maybe you do like, a single decoction mash or something like that to try and richen those melanoidins right and and get more malt character out of the malt is you know maybe a way to to do it if if, if you can't get maris otter or 
Right. Or you don't want to spend that much money on Maris Otter because it's, you know, price three times the price or something, you know. Yeah. Although I guess um, if you're going to put it in a barrel and go through that whole process. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you can't, well. be, you can't be too <laughs> price sensitive. Yeah, just use the good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But that, that's one thing I, I was just thinking about the other day, actually, was um, starting to try and do single decoction mashes on some of these uh, barley wine mashes just to see what sort of complexities I can add to it because it, it seems like it... I don't know why I never have, but yeah. it seems like it would add a lot because you think even just in a, you know, we do it on our like check tills and stuff and adds like a really nice multi character to the beer. Sure. And you'd think doing it, you know, you get the whole mallard reaction, you know, you're doing that already by boiling it for hours on end. Right. But, you know, I think if you boil some of the grain and then, you know, mixed it and you know, just did a single infusion like dough in it, you know, one forty eight and you know, let it rest for whatever an hour and then take off uh, like you'd have to do the math on the, the ratio but you know, right. like through the mash or whatever. Enough to bring it up to hundred and seventy degrees when you bring it back. Mix it and then, uh, and let it rest, and then, and then do your Borloff and your whole runoff after that. But that's something that I've actually been wanting to try, and you know, people want to give it a shot. I think it'd be cool. Sure, sure. But you don't find yourself doing that right now using Maris Otter because I've never done it, um, and it's lured because I never even thought about doing it before. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I, when you when you called me. <laughs> You know, it's, I've, I've been doing this for so long. It's it's almost like I'm on autopilot sometimes. Right. I, I put some thought into it and stuff, but you know, it's, it's almost second nature now. And, right. And um, these kind of beers. And when you told me that you're gonna do this interview with me, I'm like, you oh, know, what what else could I add to it? And then I started thinking about different ways of brewing it and stuff like that. And then kind of got my creative juices going. <laughs> so. That's good. That's good. I'm glad <laughs> like, I can contribute in some positive way to this. So I'm going to give that a shot here pretty soon. <laughs> that makes sense. When you when you choose one or two grains, like, you know, you know, one is your, can your Marisot or base small, well, you know, for a second grain, where do you typically? Just some kind of, just some kind of crystal malt. Yeah. And it, it's only just to add like a little bit of depth character. Um, but you, you could go anywhere. You could use, um, you know, really high crystal malt, like, you know, 180 or 220. Or, you know, you could put some, I could see people putting like biscuit malt in there. Yeah. Or, um, you know, special B or, um, you know, some kind of characters that give, or, you know, malts that give us sort of raisiny characters to sort of accentuate that. And, I've always liked that kind of character in, in um, bottom line. Typically, roughly speaking, you know, what's your you know ratio of that specialty malt to uh, to base malt? It's pretty small, maybe like you know three percent or something. Like that. Yeah, you're right. That's small. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe five percent. Um, but I, I would honestly have to go back and. No, and that's okay. I, we just talk about it in rough terms. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Probably maybe closer to five, but it's, it's, it's very small. It's not like it's, it's adding a ton of, um, it's a, it's just a nuance, you know? Right. It's not adding, I wouldn't say a ton of color or anything like that. I think you're getting most of your color just from the foil. Yeah. That was my next question. You do get a, you know, a good kind of chestnut color out of that. And you're saying that is boil driven more than uh, specialty malt driven? For sure. Yeah. Marisotter on its own is just dark. You know, the, the, the work coming out is, is not, I wouldn't say super dark, but it's definitely a lot darker than regular two rows. So, yeah. Um, especially when you're using it, you know, at that volume. Right. Um, I, I don't care what, like brew house you have, unless it's like a hundred or a fifty barrel brew house or something like that. I I always put as much. That's like if anybody asks me about a recipe, I just say put as much grain as you can fit into your mash tun, <laughs> and that's your malt bill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So that, that's your barley wine. Work from that, and then you'll get your finished volume uh, later on, <laughs> working yep. backwards from that. <laughs> yep. Don't sparge, or if you do sparge, like a barrel, you know, a half barrel or a barrel or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, very little sparge. Because anything that you're sparging, you, it's just upping your boil time. Right. Oh, you got to take it back off. All you're doing is all you're doing is diluting what you already have there. So as much grain as you can fit, if you got a 10 barrel system, <laughs> right. fill it up till it's about to come out the door. Like that's, that's the measurement. <laughs> right. That's how I've always done it. <laughs> this new generation of oversized mash tuns to, to brew stouts and barley wines are making a lot more sense these days. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So using one or two grains, just piling as much in there as you can, not sparging, hugely inefficient, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, when it comes to hops, you know, imagine there's some in there, but that they're obviously not the star of the show. Yeah. We're, you know, I, I don't like to go over 30 IBUs. Okay. So it's really low. Um, and I do put, you know, you put a little in at the end. Um, but that, that's it. Very little. Yeah. Yeah. And variety doesn't matter as much to you as you're just trying to find some no. soft bitterness there. You know, I honestly, I like something with some fruit in it. Yeah. So I, I would suggest going with something with some sort of fruity character. Huh. I think those fruit characters lend to the, the end product. Um, because they accentuate like all those dark fruit characters you're getting from, you know, the fermentation and the grains and all that. Though it would be subtle, I just think it's it's a nice blend. Instead of just relying on, you know, sweet, uh, you know, syrupy grain character, you know. That's fascinating. It does seem like, you know, it would work with those esters, right, that the, you know, the fermentation will kick off and, and add something to it. Is there... You know what kind of fruity character you find? Are you looking for more citrus, more tropical, or is this, you know do you go different ways for different batches? More tropical. Cool. You know we've always used Galaxy hops. And your barley <laughs> wine. 
boy, that's that's yeah. efficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is you know, I, I had I was using Galaxy Hops before they're super popular. Right, right. No, I, I remember that. I remember farmhouse beers from you with Galaxy Hops in them years and years ago. Yeah, exactly. We had Galaxy Hops and everything. And it's just that's just because what I had, I had a ton of Galaxy, and I'd get it for like bucks a pound, and and I had a, a direct, you know, contract with John I. Haas, and um, eventually I lost that. But <laughs> so now I'm paying more, but that's it's fine. It's uh, still use Galaxy Hops. Galaxy Hops and Barley. No, I mean that's 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 awesome and such a a fun and different, you know. Uh, out of the norm, but if you want to know, I mean, for me, uh, it sounds like that's one of those things that makes it a an Anchorage barley one. Yeah, I think so. Because um, I think most people would use like an English hop or they would use Magnum or something really neutral that isn't really adding to the character of it. It's just balancing with a touch of bitterness. Right. And then, you know, something like Galaxy's also um, definitely got more alpha in it than you know some of those british hops that people might otherwise you know just lean on um Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit different approach then comparatively for sure but 30 so 30 i mean you're not using a ton of galaxy hops then if uh you know if that's no yeah no and then we do you know we can do a little shot of the boil like you know what five minutes to go ten minutes or you would just put throw them in a whirlpool no just in the whirlpool no cool that using IPA techniques for your uh, for your barley wine galaxy whirlpool hopping man so, <laughs> yeah. so contemporary I love it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how long do you typically boil for you know it honestly depends on um, the air pressure oh, okay so it's to a certain volume or for a certain amount of uh, boil off we basically boil to gravity okay so you know can't remember which way it goes it's either <laughs> it's a high pressure day it's a long day or <laughs> yeah i think it's because it, it it doesn't allow the steam to escape as easy right and so your evaporation rate goes way down so it can literally add like four hours to your day if it's Oof. a high pressure day yikes people always talk about oh i had to boil for six hours I'm like it's like the easiest day ever. <laughs> <laughs> you can just go do other things and the things just sitting there boiling. And <laughs> as you, uh, as you're thinking about this, especially with the intention of, th- of putting a beer into barrels, you know, you know, that, uh, gravity that you're coming out of, you know, coming out with, um, you know, can certainly impact the way that, that, that barrel aging piece, you know, comes. What do you typically shoot for, you know, to, um, you know, post-fermentation gravity before you go into barrels? Usually between 10 to 14, somewhere in there. Okay. That's not as high and as I thought it might be. You thought, oh, you thought it'd be like I thought 18? It could, or, I thought it could be even higher, yeah. No. Now that we have stouts and stuff going into into barrels at 20 Play-Doh plus, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is you still, even, even when the, beer ferments down that low you still get a ton of sweetness right so it's not like that sweetness just goes away just because it fermented out even if it went down to zero there'd still be a ton of sweetness there was actually this one uh time i made this american barley wine and i decided to try some enzymes in it 
and it fermented down to one Play-Doh from 28. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and it still had sweetness and body in it. Huh. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't release it like that. We ended up brewing another batch without the enzymes and did a higher mash temp and tried to get that ending gravity much higher. And then we blended the two together to balance it. Right. But I was surprised at how, you know, sweet it was for, for fermenting down that far. Interesting. And what do you think it was that lent that? Obviously, if it's one Play-Doh, it's not sugar, but it's some idea of sweetness and then, you know, some something else, add, you know, leaving the body into it? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> hey. I don't... <laughs> Just one of those dumb birds. <laughs> hey, no worries, no worries. I, I'm I'm curious about it because you know it's just I find the same thing in a lot of you know um, Belgian lambic, for example, where or even Jester King beers, where they're like this is a you know point nine nine nine. You know, like I mean, how you got it below dry, and yet it still has some perceived sweetness to it. Um, you well, know, our like our we have a, a Czech pills that we brew called Time for a Change and. It finishes at uh, almost zero Play-Doh. Yeah. Um, but we do a single decoction mash on it, and it still has body. It's cool that it still works that way. And I think, you know, our, again, our brains are sensing something and uh, you know about this that may not be measured as sweetness, even if it's perceived on our tongue. I mean, you know, brains, our brains fill in the gaps all the time, you know? Like, yeah, um, between what something actually is and what we think it should be you know, based on those other sensory inputs. So no, that's, that's pretty cool. So you go in 10 to 14, you know, into the barrel or there, are there, uh, you know, the lower, the better. And, you know, we've been trying to yeah. drive that, that number down over the last, you know, few years. And, um, now we're getting down into like the tens and stuff. And I'm actually happier with the beer <clears throat> down in there. You're training uh, the consumer to go along with you, huh? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I said we're trying. We've been trying to get <laughs> the the gravity down, but maybe I am training them at the same time. Who knows? <laughs> what do you think? What's the difference from your perspective between something that goes in at ten versus something that goes in at fourteen? The beer will taste better sooner. You don't have to age it for quite as long. I think one of the big tricks of you know producing these beers is like double or triple oaking. Yeah. I don't like that beer single oak. Huh. It's, uh, it's just okay. I think it needs more time and, and, um, and the double oaking is, even if I just age it for a year, I'll, I'll age it for six months and then I'll throw it into another barrel and then go for another six months. When you double oak, is it, oxygen pickup is it just barrel contact with more spirits is it barrel contact with more of the wood character in the barrel what do you you know what do you think it is i about think that? it's all the above it's all the above i think it's more fresh wood on the beer it could be more oxygen just from the transfer and, right and, you know, small trace but yeah trace and then um and then the alcohol pickup um you know one thing a lot of people I think miss is people get real excited about some of these really old, old barrels. Um, and at the end of the day, there's not really a lot of character in them. 
right. are really stripped out. All that's left in there is that spirit, and you're lucky if you get the spirit in there. Like if you can get a wet old barrel, it's, but if you get a wet or a dry old barrel, that's like the worst. <laughs> <laughs> what does a dry old barrel taste like to you? It doesn't taste like anything. It's like you know all the all the characters stripped out of it compared to like a, a younger barrel. So right, my I mean people probably have noticed I used a lot of double oak barrels. Like if I can get a hold of some sort of double oak barrel, yeah it's the best of both worlds because you've taken this, you know, bourbon that's been aged for, I don't know how long, eight years, four years, six years. And then they put it into a, a fresh barrel for just one year and then they empty it. So you're getting like this fresh Oak plus old, uh, bourbon inside of it. So it's like the, the, the best flavor combination. You get the most impact. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Right. For that, there's like cask finished where the, they're putting bourbon in if just for a short period to finish it. That, mm-hmm. that barrel yeah. becomes the most fun. Huh? For me. Yeah. That's what I've noticed. Um, but those are some of my favorite barrels to, to find. As I'm thinking about it, there's, there is a certain kind of vibrance and energy, you know, to your barrel aged barley wines where they don't feel old and tired, you know, and you think that that double oaking has something to do with that. The double oaking and double oak barrels. Double oaking in <laughs> but double I don't think it, <laughs> it doesn't always have to be a double oak barrel. Sure, you know, sure. we've had, we do it differently all the time. A lot of times I'll try and put it in a double oak and then we'll add, you know, we'll take it over into a Blanton's or a Buffalo Trace or, or whatever we can get our hands weller, um, all of them add, you know, awesome layers. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's one way to go with it, but sure, that's just something that I, I noticed about those one girls. Um, and then we haven't done cognac in a long time. Um, the early versions of a deal with the devil were done in cognac. And, um, I've always struggled with the quality of those barrels and having issues with them leaking. And um, so it's, I, I sort of strayed away from them, but I've been thinking about experimenting with them again. Yeah. So you might see some more cognac in the future. The very first batch of the deal of the devil was just cognac. Right. We'll continue the conversation in a minute, but first with 20 years of innovation and experience, Brewmation specializes in electric, steam, and direct fire brew houses, complete cellar solutions, and automated controls for the craft brewing industry. From half barrel to 30 barrel systems, Brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style. Whether you're starting a new brewery, upgrading your cellar, or just need some parts to keep you up and running, Brewmation has you covered. Visit them at brewmation.com slash cbbpod to get started. Also, as Craft Beer's most trusted point-of-sale system arrived is the mobile all-in-one solution you need to decrease service friction and increase guest satisfaction. With a full suite of craft-specific features, no contracts, and no monthly fees, Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Go to arrived.com forward slash cbb to set up a free customized demo that's arrived, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com 
forward slash CBB. Remember, there is no I in arrived. Now, back to the conversation. How much does, uh, you know, as, as you build this stock, I know you're, you know, you're putting a lot of stuff back into barrels. Um, how many beers start with the finish line in mind versus how many beers start with let's put some stock back and then taste and see what we can build from that, you know? I think most of them do not go in as, uh, maybe some, like we make a beer called Wendigo. Yeah. That's a, That's uh, a black, black barley yeah. wine. And it's double oaked. And um, I love that beer. It's, it's a very simple recipe, too. That one is one that, that goes in. We, we have a plan and we execute it. And then, right. Um, but, you know, the deal with the devil has been kind of changing and tweaking for years but it's never been the recipe. The recipe's always been the same. It's just been processes. Yeah. Um, so I think we usually, almost nothing goes in with like a, this is, this is, you know, because we can't always say, oh, the beer's going to turn out this way. Or I might be inspired by something and, and want to try something new. Or So I always keep everything kind of open and, and, kind of roll roll with it yeah yeah no, i mean it makes sense like you have access to some new barrels that come along and you know mm-hmm. taste stuff and figure out what you want to put into it you know keep yeah. things going i mean right I, I, but i'm curious about like you know different sources and barrels could all end up in a specific blend of, of you know of any batch of the deal with the devil that you release and you know it's not all oh, for gonna sure. be one thing yeah absolutely yeah, and you know, sometimes we'll we'll pull from. Generally, they're from the same year. Not well up to this point. Yeah, it's always been the same year's release. Yeah. So, like when we brew a batch, you know, we generally throw it into into different barrels, or all one set of barrels, and then we double oak it into something else, and then even triple oak it into something else, you know, and that takes about two years to do triple oak. Yeah. And, um, but we have to care. We, we, we hold some back in, um, kegs as well. Um, from, so let's just say we're going to do a double oak batch. You know, we, we fill all the barrels up that we'd normally do. And then, you know, you're going to have loss on all those barrels for that batch so when we go to double oak we'll we'll top off the barrels or we'll we'll transfer it into the um the empty barrels but we'll top off from the next barrel so all the new barrels are totally full to the top Mm. and then at the end we're going to end up with you know maybe like 15 gallons or or even you know two kegs of beer that we couldn't use. Won't fill in a, an entire oh. cask. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then, and then we'll set that aside, let that age in stainless. And then when we go to triple Oak, we'll top all that off and then we'll take those two kegs and we'll use that as our top off. Well, that makes sense. Because that's one of the, the hard parts about doing double triple Oak and you, 
you have to get the barrel full. So. Right. So that it doesn't end up too oxidized. Yeah, for sure. How much will a barrel lose over, you know, the, the year of aging? Gallons? Oh, man. I don't know exactly. Percentage-wise, like, roughly? I don't know. You know, 3%? Maybe sometimes more. You know, I usually just look into the barrel and I'm like, oh, we lost about, you know, five gallons or something like that. Wow. This is kind of a crazy story. And I don't know if I should even let it out, but <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to. I'll tell you. <laughs> we can decide later whether it makes it into the story or not. <laughs> so, one of our most famous batches is Deal with the Devil. I think it's batch four. And it was from batch two or something like that. And I threw it into a whiskey barrel. And it was when we first started, so I was doing like Brett everything, you know. Yeah. Except for this barley wine. I was like, hmm, I'm going to throw some bread in here and just see what happens. And then I let that cask age for two years, I think. Yeah. And I honestly, I just forgot about it. I just left it in there. And um, we were moving into our new facility when I found it. And I mean, I always knew it was back there, but I was just like, oh, I'm just going to let it do its thing. And, right. And uh, I opened the bungle, you know, just to look in there and see, and there's no pellicle, and the bread didn't do anything to it. Huh. And, but it aged beautifully, and um, and we packaged it, and, you know, that's the one batch that everyone tries to buy it for like 2500 bucks or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I was putting bread cultures into it. <laughs> so I think you've told a little me bit of, I think you've told me that before. On, I, did I? I? I vaguely recall Maybe that. I, I, I haven't Maybe shared I did. it. I didn't share it with anybody. But yeah, that's that's. Funny. I don't think we ever let it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. But uh, yeah, kind of funny. So I know there's there's some people that maybe heard about it, so everyone thinks that I actually use pretend lights and I do with the devil, I think. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that think that. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be historically incorrect in the, uh, in the history of old ale, stock ale, and barley wine, at least, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Now we have, you know, we've had a few for this upcoming issue where folks have been intentionally adding Brett to them and, uh, you know, can make for some interesting beers. Yeah. Two more things I want to talk about. One is uh, adding adjuncts, which is something you've started to do in a very subtle way, you know, um, mm -hmm. especially th yeah. things like vanilla. I know you, you're not looking to make pastry barley wines. You know, you're looking for barrel expression primarily, but uh, you know, this you know, vanilla addition and, and using very subtle kind of pieces there, maybe even coconut here and there. Talk, talk to me about using, you know, adding some of these ingredients, you know, to, yeah. to help finish certain barley wines. It's kind of slippery slope and, and people are, are pretty sensitive about it. <laughs> They're like, why, you know, you can't put adjuncts in barley wines and they get really upset about it. And, um, so I was, I was kind of tipping my, you know, dipping my toe in it. And at first I was going to do a coconut one and, I realized how much beer I was going to lose from the coconut. <laughs> I, was like, no, I can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. 
it's too big of a loss. I mean, the, the absorption from coconut is just insane. Yeah. Um, like on 40 barrels of like a big beer, we would lose 10, like 25% oh. absorption. Yeah. Miserable. Um, just because, just because of the sheer volume of coconut we're using. But I decided to, to try the vanilla, but we didn't do very much. It was, I think, like a quarter pound per barrel. Hmm. And we just left it in until, I mean, we kept a real close eye on it because I didn't want it to take over the beer. I just wanted it to be like a, a, a subtle character, almost like it's um, like it's uh, building upon the vanilla character from the, the oak or something like that. Right. So I didn't want to to take over the beer to to add some complexity sure. and try something new and and you know have something for for people to try a new variant of the people to know rather than going for a full on marshmallow just looking you know to highlight that um, you know I mean I think that's a there's a piece of subtlety there when you're echoing especially with vanilla and coconut flavors that already exist there due to the barrel aging process and and, uh, Mm -hmm. I think it becomes less about making the ingredient the star and more about highlighting some of that that barrel character just putting a point on it but since then you know we've done beers where you know we have stock of all these different kinds of stuff and barley wine stuff and and you know, lately we've been doing some barley wine imperial stout blends right. with adjuncts, and those have kind of allowed us to, to sort of amp up, you know, some of those characters. Let's talk about black barley wine for for a second, and then I think you know that's probably yeah. then I, I you know we'll ask you about finishing and uh, you know carbonation at the end there. Just kind of mm-hmm. curious where that goes, but black mm-hmm. black barley wine, you know, with Wendigo in particular. Certainly, it's something we've been seeing more of over the last three or four years. Um, you know, for you, what is what are the differences with that? Well, it's, it's a smaller beer. It's you know around thirty-two Plato, and um, it's literally two ingredients again. It's, hmm. you know, it's just Maris Otter and Cinnamar, and then just Cinnamar just like just, a, just for color, really. Yeah, it's just like making a Schwartz beer or something like that, right? But it's barley wine, and you know it. It does add some character for sure. There, there, there's, you know, the slightest little bit of roast, yeah, sort of character. But um, it's not like it's totally neutral. But um, other than that, it's it's very simple hmm. in its uh, recipe, and we sort of, I mean, it's funny. Like thirty-two play-doh is so easy to ferment. <laughs> <You know. laughs> It's a super easy beer to make. <laughs> we don't got to worry about anything. I, I do think when people get into like, oh, I made this 45 Play-Doh barley wine. I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's too much. I think it's, uh, I guess I haven't tried one that tastes good yet, but yeah, I think, I think there's a, there's a, there's a limit to how much, you know how big of a beer you can make with barley wines. If I'm reading you right, what you're saying is that bigger, well, obviously bigger isn't always better, but that it throws off the kind of balance equation. You know, you're already picking up a bunch of alcohol from the spirit barrel aging process, and I know some of yours get into the 16 plus, you know, range just without yeah. having to brew them into that kind of range. 
if you try to start even bigger than, you know, you get into what 20 plus and that just sounds gross. Well, I also think that some people that are trying to brew a beer that big think they think it's just going to ferment out and they find out that it's going to stop at like 24 Plato or, or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. And, and then I've, I've had lots of people send me emails saying, Hey, I tried to brew this beer or, or I even tried to brew a beer at 37 Plato and it just crapped out on me. I'm like, yeah, I know it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your big key on fermenting is yeast health over pitching like a motherfucker and, yep. and, um, basically brewing in two batches so that you're stepping up your, uh, you know, your yeast. Along mm-hmm. the and yeah, using ox- oxygen both times. Oxygen both times. Okay. Yeah. But, and that's only overnight, you know, I wouldn't wait like two days or right. anything like that. Right. In terms of finishing, you know, um, barley wine gets away with being, you know, lower carbonated than most other styles kind of, you know, fits that savoriness of it. What, how do you, where do you tend to aim for? We always hit, we always hit two, 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 yeah. two point two vines. That's kind of, I find when people try and get them too high, it's, um, the, the, like the fizziness really messes with the mouthfeel. Sure. And then too low, it's just flat. You know, I know some people have been releasing a few like flat still barley wines, and they're okay. <laughs> I think Corey, I think Corey Corey did the best job. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think the beer it has to be a freaking awesome beer to begin with. Right. If it's not an awesome beer, <laughs> it's like it's gonna make it even worse. Um, so I think you do need a little bit of carbonation in there just to kind of and the 2.2 i feel like adds that like a really creamy texture to, to the right beer. i'm still gonna get some head off of it and it'll still be yeah yeah any other uh you know for other folks out there brewing these you know any other hints tips tricks pro approach um, don't try and go too big just because you want to make a big beer you know unless you know you can ferment it out you know right right once it gets stuck it's almost impossible to so there are some tricks to getting it unstuck and maybe this is something that could help some people um because there's a ton of people that when they try and ferment out a you know a barley wine at 37 plato or higher or even a little bit lower they get stuck right at like 20 or 24 plato um and one way to help that is um, to just stop a one of your other batches that you're you're brewing, like another beer, right? Um, that's maybe similar in color, not not too far off. Is get a, a one barrel starter going, and then get another big yeast starter going, mm. and 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 use some of that. I've used some of that HA team before, just to help with this. Yeah. And so I'll use, you know, the yeast starter, like I would normally start the beer off, and then um, on a on a one barrel pitch, and then I'll add a couple bricks of that HA18, and then and then transfer the whole beer on top of that um, the next day when it's huh. like 
just fermenting like crazy. Right. And a lot of times it'll it'll take it down to where it needs to go. Huh. So if you get in trouble anyways. I think I've got all that I need. God damn it, I made it through. We made it through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I was nervous in the beginning. <laughs> really? Oh. I don't know why. <laughs> you what? No, oh, my I said, I don't know why I get that way. <laughs> One of these days. I hate doing interviews, like uh, live interviews where they're recording me. Right. So I like, start sweating. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I guess that's the key. I, I, I have been recording this whole thing. I should have told you I was doing that. But maybe no, I should. No, I, I, knew, I knew you were recording the whole thing. <laughs> it's just like yeah. <laughs> if you were to do this live I would have been like oh fuck that's so fucking idiot <laughs> one day one day we'll get it one day you'll feel comfortable and we can do the podcast episode that you've told me you'll never do uh, <laughs> yeah right okay <laughs> one day um, no like I said no one will hear this audio I'll, I'll, I'll turn this I just like to record stuff because then I can transcribe it and you know I can make sure I get sure. all the words right and if I try to type this stuff while we're talking then I you know I lose track of where uh, our conversation is so That'd be really hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, giving me time, and yep. hope you feel better and get through, uh, you know, COVID shittiness. It's I'm almost there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'll be back on Thursday. So okay, cool, cool. All right, awesome. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Thanks. Gabe. Okay, bye. Yeah, bye. I hope you've enjoyed this unusual episode of the podcast and big thanks to Gabe for letting me share it with you. A deal with the devil barley wine is one of the best beers I've ever had the pleasure of drinking. And this glimpse into Gabe's brewing approach is eye opening. If you're a subscriber to craft beer and brewing, dive into those digital archives on our app or website and dig up the homebrew scaled recipe for a deal with the devil in the April, May, 2022 issue. It's definitely not to be missed. Uh, and thanks for listening along with us. For nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Think outside the puree box with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate Blends. Fermentus provides brewers with the most complete portfolio of dried lager yeast anywhere. Brumation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style. An arrived mobile point of sale powers places with personality. Of course, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, let us know this content matters for matters to you. And of course, uh, get into that all-access subscription tier so that you'll get first crack at tickets to our 10th anniversary uh, Brewers Retreat next year at uh, Russian River in Santa Rosa, California. It's going to be something not to be mixed. Thanks for checking out this episode. Hey, you know, if you want to learn more about Anchorage, go check them out on the socials, Anchorage Brewing, or go visit them on the web at anchoragebrewing.company. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.